You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where with every four indictments, you get one mugshot free. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hope for Bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. I have to say that this trip is a little weird for me, and I don't know if it's just because I'm back in school and I'm coaching now, had the season opening cross-country meet this past weekend, and it was a two-day meet. Our team ran on Friday, and then we hosted a huge meet with kids running 15, 16 minutes for three miles on Saturday morning. And I don't know if it's just because of how involved I am with all that, that I'm more disconnected from the farce of our culture. But I I don't think the farce this week is that that farcical. It's that farcical. There's a couple things, but it's sort of older farce or redundant farce. And sort of just like, (laughs) yeah. This is just the state of farce word. So maybe we've hit a farce plateau. Of course, there will never be peak farce. But I think we've kind of maybe seen this iteration of the farce. So we're sort of waiting for a change. Where Where is the farce going to go? How is the farce going to grow? And, and let's find out if I'm the only one who thinks that. Let me bring in my co-host. Joining me this trip from his corner office, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege... William Green. Hello, hello. Well, furthering um, uh, more white privilege I have to give up, I had my first guest stay, uh, Midsider codename Leo C. Diamond, who shall remain anonymous, he knows who he is, uh, stayed uh, stayed uh, this weekend, came and said hi, and uh, and uh, it was uh, it was nice. I, I had the I had the house mostly unpacked. The room was all available. But unfortunately, the new light I was going to install in the guest bedroom arrived at 6 a.m. this morning, and he left at 5 a.m. this morning. So <laughs> there was no light in the bedroom. But other than that, I think the accommodations met standards. So the uh, uh, so that's cool. Uh, first guest in the new house. Um, other stuff going on. You speak of running. This weekend was uh, in Flint, Michigan, uh, near my old hometown of Durand. Uh, was the uh, the there annual crim festival of races where they have a bunch of running and my uh well, one of my friends and uh my godson uh ran i got a bunch of videos i woke up to a bunch of videos this morning of them running the crim so did you uh, say crim yeah. running of the racists yeah i think that's actually what it is in flint but uh i think they i think they're actually dodging bullets the whole time so that's why people tend to get good times oh uh, i mean they run through the uh, they run right through the city man so uh, it's got to be brave. It's a test of bravery and speed. So you're saying Krim is a pretty grim city. Yeah, it sure is. In Flint, at least. But uh, yeah, uh, other stuff. Um, made a couple trips to San Francisco this week during the day for uh, for work. And uh, man, is it still dead there. And uh, Justin, I have to bring this up because I noticed it. Uh, and I may, maybe this has been going on for a while, but you know, I don't go to San Francisco that often. Um Justin, there is a guard in front of every store now in San Francisco, but in typical San Francisco fashion, it's just like the mall cop, you know? Yeah. Like, 
And talk about like security theater. Like, what is this mall cop going to do if someone flash mobs the store or if 13 homeless people come wandering in uh, demanding their aliens be freed? I mean, like, it's, it's, he's just a human scarecrow. They're just human <laughs> scarecrows. I have a, I have, a, I, I thought the same thing, which is why I'm announcing the midside scarecrow that we will be selling. It'll be a picture of uh, either Trump or Biden, uh, real life size, that you can place in front of your store as the scarecrow. Why hire these poor minimum wage people that are just sitting on their ass? This is unhealthy for them. There's nothing for them to do, and there's nothing they will do. So, like, let's just uh, forego the uh, the security, you know, theater and actually just uh, put a scarecrow there instead. This product not actually for sale. Uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, it, it's logical that they would try this as a cost-saving money before, because we've covered all the other measures they're taking. It would yeah. make sense they would do that first before they would lock everything up, because... You know, just hiring a dude for minimum wage is a lot cheaper than retrofitting your entire store. It's it's absolutely crazy to me the amount of empty real estate uh, in San Francisco, commercial real estate. So, uh, I mean, damn. Uh, any of you midsiders down there, I don't know. I, I, You have to have noticed it, right? Is this the boiling of the frog sort of stuff? Like, these people paying this astronomical amount to live in San Francisco and getting... None of the benefits of a city. It's uh, it's really crazy. Well, what you're saying is actually directly related to one of the stories I wanted to talk about this week. So let's do that. Let's head into Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Just like the sun. No, we just complain and I hope that this mic is on. Because I'm on the road here. I hope this is making some sense. I hope that you throw up your hands and sing it and tell all as always if you'd like to support the show you can do so through patreon or locals patreon is per episode locals is per month we accept any and all support including and perhaps most of all affirmations well as you were talking about here william one of the stories i have on the uh, outline is about a California bank, which I think this kind of encapsulates what you're saying. And this is about Los Angeles, but I think the same thing applies in San Francisco. So I'm going to read three paragraphs here. From his office just outside Los Angeles, Dominic Ng watched as California banks fell like dominoes. First, crypto-friendly Silvergate Capital Corp., down near San Diego in early March, then Silicon Valley Bank up north days later, followed by San Francisco's First Republic Bank at the beginning of May. So the first thing here is, William, one, we've talked about this before, and two, San Diego, San Francisco, L.A., this is across the entire state. Those are three major cities. So this is not just one area of California. Once the regional banking turmoil eased, Ng found himself head of the biggest surviving California chartered bank. The deposit base at his Pasadena-based East West Bank Corp. Inc. grew by $921.4 million, or 2%, in the months after the collapse of its peers. 
with $68.5 billion in total assets. East West is the only state bank with more than $50 billion in assets, a level that triggers closer scrutiny by state regulators. Which has worked so well. Well, and that's really where we're going with that, with all of this, right? So the, to finish up, a quote from Dominic Ng, and I don't know if I, his last name's NG. I don't know how to say that. I'm just saying Ng because I'm white, so deal with it. I didn't grow that much, he said in an interview shortly before Crosstown. Rival Pac West Bank Corp agreed to a takeover by smaller competitor Bank of California, Inc. as part of the fallout from this year's upheaval. It's just that everybody else left or they died. And I think this is what you're talking about, William, in in the sort of, you know, pre-talk before the... uh, before the pre-show. opening music here, the pre it's not, I don't even want to call it pre-show. I don't know what to call it. The jibber jabber at the top of the program. <laughs> There's a word they use on pod meets world. I can't remember what it is right now. Cause I'm old and my, my brain's going, but this is what you're talking about is everything is empty and everyone is leaving. And these, these companies, when they put these human scarecrows out and I'm not talking about the bank right now, but just in general, it's because, I think there's a belief that if they just survive and they're the last one standing, they will be able to have the market share and they will be able to make enough money because all the competitors will have died. So they see it as sort of an opportunity. But William, I have a different question I want to pose to you about all of this. You know, we've been saying for a while, California is going to die. California is going to die. Is California dying or is it already dead? And what I mean by that question is, are we so successful as a society that the collapse isn't going to be an obvious collapse like in society's past where everything just collapses all at once and it's very quick? Whereas here, there's so much comfort that the squalor of today is an illusionary squalor because of the comfort. Do you understand my question? Yeah, I I think that I think that I think that there's some truth to the fact that there's just so much capital out there to destroy. There's just so much good today to destroy. And we do we do see there's still enough freedom in the world that we get the, a lot of the Reardon effect. And for those of you who haven't read Atlas Shrugged, this is where, you know, businesses and and free minds end up creating things and delaying the death like pushing the death back further right and we i mean we saw that like we're i think materially we're we we've probably got another 20 year lease just from the uh uh shale fracking boom right and we're already seeing texas fuck that up now right but it took them time right um to to destroy that so I think I think part of it is part of the answer is the Reardon effect, right? And and then the other part of the answer I think is that uh there are a lot of people uh sort of decentralizing and disconnecting, right? Like me, I I in a in a rational world, I would have moved to San Francisco 20 years ago, right? That's the that's the hub, the mecca of the kind of work that I do. And but <clears throat> but even back then, 
I didn't want to be part of this sort of dying culture. The, the Silicon Valley of the nineties was gone even by the early two thousands. And, uh, and I think that there are other places that people are going for opportunity. And we see this in the, in the fact that people are leaving California. So if you ask, is California dying or dead? I say it's dead. I mean, when you have people, you know, when you have, when you run off people like Elon Musk and you attract all, all the people that are homeless and on drugs, something is wrong, right? And then that, and that wrongness is, uh, not being addressed and people are sort of looking away for it, looking away from it, sort of shutting their mind off to it. I mean, you cannot live in San Francisco unless you are evading this like terrible, terrible inequity, right? And I mean that in the real sense, not the like the the way that the leftists mean inequity, right? This is where there's just two different classes, two different rule sets for people to live. There's the people who can live on the street and do whatever they want, and then there's the people who are producing things and all they can do is deal with red tape. Yeah, and and what you're saying is why I was referring to sort of this idea of comfort, this illusion of comfort, because I think that addresses what you're saying, right? Because it hurts the quality of life where it's so inequitable in a geographic region. And then there's also the idea that if you hide behind what is still keeping life going sort of on momentum, you're not really addressing the way things are slowing down in general. And I think that's a major issue in California in general is mm-hmm. I think what you said is so well stated that if you are still there, you are evading what is actually going on there and what the quality of life actually is there. And I well, mean, I, I can't would, I wouldn't that. necessarily Gosh. go that far, but I would, I would say that for the general people that that's true, right? Like you can, I think some people do want to stay here and, and fight for change, right? I think there are people like that. And then, I, I mean, I have a friend that moved to Austin and is having to deal with California attitudes in Austin, fighting fighting against uh, sort of NIMBY uh, housing densification anti-regulation stuff. So, um, you know, it, it, I don't think you can escape it. I, I don't think I don't think just moving will escape it, and I don't think moving is a, is a requirement to escape it. But certainly, um, understanding what's going on here is... is is important. I mean, Justin, the banking example you gave is is a perfect example of how you can escape it. This is this is not California regulation necessarily. This is federal regulation. Why would anyone bank anywhere except for J.P. Morgan Chase or Bank of America or Wells Fargo? The reason I say that is we know that the government will bail those banks out, but they let these little banks. They they don't care about the the little banks, right? Why would anybody yeah. put any money into any other bank, right? Yeah. You, the, the 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 government's already signaled the moral hazard. Small banks are will not be saved, and uh, and so now you're faced with this weird dilemma, right? We know that the big banks are corrupt. Remember uh, the whole Occupy Wall Street uh, street shit, and you, so you don't want to put your money there. So people start putting their money in smaller banks and their in their local banks. But we've seen this since the uh, since the '80s because of the regulations. Um, banks just gobble up and gobble up competitors until they're one big conglomeration. And you talk about looking into the future with banks. Um, I'm sure you've we haven't covered it on the show yet, but um, Nigel Farage over in the UK, they just basically unbanked him and come to find out uh, he couldn't open a bank account anywhere. And he's a well-known political figure. Um, and the whole reason was the compliance costs of anti-money laundering regulations make it so that if you do anything that could possibly be ever used by a criminal, 
uh, in money laundering, like let's say simply buying $50 of Bitcoin a week, which one person was unbanked for uh, in the UK, then because it costs something like a hundred pounds per $1 recovered for money laundering, it's a business decision for the banks to just say, well, we'll just, uh, we'll just say, no, we won't have this person as a customer. It's too expensive for us to comply with the government regulations because they do things, you know, they deal in cash, let's say, or, um, uh, they, you know, they buy $50 of Bitcoin a week. Um, so that's just not acceptable. So uh, we would have to document all this and we have to call the customer and ask them, what are you doing with this money? And when they say, which, which Nigel Farage said, none of your business is my money, then they just unbank you. So I think we're going there. That's the direction we're going. So I don't know that you can escape this uh, just by moving to Florida. Well, yeah, I, I certainly wasn't saying simply because California is dead that the rest of the country is fine and the rest of the world is fine. That would be a yeah. false dichotomy, bro. I certainly wasn't claiming that at all. And I certainly wasn't claiming that people in other areas are are also not evading. I mean, I've been very clear with saying I think England is the extreme cultural example of where we're headed. I think California is the extreme economic example of where we're headed. I just was questioning the rhetoric we're using around California yeah. Yeah. as of late. And look, there fair. are areas I in think, California that are fine, too. Yeah, I like right. I like the area I am. Obviously, I'm a little biased. Right. Uh, I just moved here, but uh, that's why I selected this area. Right. And NorCal, outside of San Francisco, tends to be all right. There tends to be good stuff there. So, look, it's not like all hope is lost. I didn't mean to say it like that, but black when you're pill. publishing you're stories... The black pill. <laughs> when you're publishing stories, William, where you're saying a bank is growing simply by surviving... That's a contradiction in terms. Yep. Yeah. Because it, you, it, the things don't grow by just surviving. They have to flourish. Right. That's how they grow. Right. Right. And that 2% isn't real growth, right? First of all, statistically, you could argue that's an aberration, right? You can't really tell what that is. And if it comes from other people Dude, dying, inflation, you're not really growing. Inflation was what? 18% last year? If your company grew by 2%, you failed. That's true, too. That's a good point mathematically and economically. So I may the or may not that, be a businesswoman. <laughs> so uh the the fact that we're having the conversation and this is an actual news story that's the farce here that we're saying something's growing by surviving and that that's being reported on and nobody's going like hey what's going on but of course this sort of like the way we're looking at things also to me extends to uh a news report i saw about one of the gop presidential candidates so Somebody who's get, gaining a lot of steam, but William, I consider this guy like the new Ross Perot or like the new Steve Forbes. Remember yeah, when they yeah. ran in the Republican Party and like everyone thought they were going to be a big deal and then they were just kind of sort of like a fad or a trend within the Republican Party back yeah. in the day? Right. This guy, Vivek Ramaswamy, and again, I apologize if I mispronounced his name. Uh, this is a 38-year-old entrepreneur or businessman. So clearly he's successful business-wise. But it's very interesting to me, the rhetoric of what has been reported here. So what's talking about is he basically hasn't voted, which for me, sorry, the, the podcast just jumped out of box and the box collapsed. And OK, so for me, that's a good thing. Right. But this is so absurd. Right. I'm going to read these two sentences, William, and I want to see if you identify the same farce that I do. So, uh. 
Ramaswamy said he voted for Libertarian in the 2004 presidential election, but did not vote in 2008, 2012, or 2016, according to Reuters, and has contributed to both Republican and Democratic candidates. He brushed past the question about his sparse voting history during Wednesday's GOP presidential debate. Ramaswamy said he went on to become a hardcore Trump supporter and voted for him in 2020. What okay. farce do you see? Do you see any farce here, William? <clears throat> so he voted in 2020, didn't vote in 2016, 2012, or 2018, and voted in 2004. I I, I don't know. I, I why do we care when he whether he voted or not? What is the what is that? Are they trying to see whether, whether he was registered as one thing or another? Like what what is the story here? I'm confused. Well, okay, so you are sniffing around where I am saying the farces. Okay. I think him not... I'm I'm, I'm like a truffle-sniffing pig for farce. Right, right. For the farce that I'm talking about, for for Justin's farce brain, right? My degree from FU doesn't say you're 100% correct, but I would put you at like 60%. All right. Is that acceptable? Yeah, that's acceptable. Well, here's the thing. He pretty much did what I did just early on. Right. Remember when I was like, I'm not voting for Trump or Hillary. And then I didn't vote again in the next election. Like, I'm not voting for Biden or Trump. Right. But here's the thing. I think he was eyeing a presidential. Run a presidential bid way back in 2020. So to prepare himself, he voted for Trump because he knew he was going to run Republican and. That. If he didn't vote, if he didn't vote for Trump, the Republican Party would drum him out or the the voters would drum, would drum him out. Wasn't there a video this week? I don't know if you saw it also on Twitter from the debate where people asked if or they, they asked the candidates if they didn't win, if they would still support Trump if he was nominated. And DeSantis waited to raise his hand before he saw what everyone else yeah, did. He looked around what everyone else did. Yeah, right. But the, but that's the point here. Right. Look at this. This this candidate, Ramaswamy, said he voted Libertarian in 2004, then didn't vote again. For was that Gary Johnson 2000, in 2004? Who was it in 2004? Who was the Libertarian candidate? I, I, don't I think know. it was, no, it was Bad Narek, wasn't it? Oh, maybe, yeah. Right. Who, now, I didn't like Bad Narek, right? I saw him speak, and he was one of these leftist libertarians where he was like, the corporations are evil, right? I saw him speak at Cornell, and actually somebody interviewed me who went to Cornell who thought I was a Cornell student and they were asking my opinions on the third party debate because it was over on the other hill in Ithaca. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was bad Narek. But that's the point. The point is that Ramaswamy didn't vote because clearly he has libertarian principles. Yeah. And then he voted for Trump. It doesn't make any sense because we're using... You said it before, classist, right? Group. What's the word where we group together besides collectivism? I don't know. It's collectivist litmus test. Voting is being used as a litmus test. To me, I see that he didn't vote, and I like that. I say, oh, he's sticking yeah. to his principles. But everybody else sees it. Oh, well, he's not really affiliated with our group, right? Which yeah, is yeah, that's really strange. Farcical. Because yeah, because uh, like I, I can, I have sympathy for those of you who voted for Trump in uh, in. Uh, the last two elections, right? Like, I understand why I vote for Trump. There's, there's certain, uh, there's certain 
uh, appeal to someone who's pushing back against the uh, the sort of cultural changes, right? And uh, we we know we. Would we be better right now with Trump than Biden? I think the probable answer is yes, <laughs> but it's really hard to say because Biden does nothing. So, uh, so uh, it's really hard to say. All that being said, what I think that's what I think you hit the nail on the head. This is like, if anything, Justin, this is an argument for uh, his supporters because he's trying to say like, hey, the Republican Party needs to be. Uh, reformed, right? He's he's sort of uh, an outsider. He's trying to take the outsider um, stance, much like Trump did, right? And uh, in fact, I think he stood up, didn't he, during the debate? And like, I forgot which thing he called them out for, but something about he was like, "I'm the only candidate that's not bought and paid for uh, um, in this uh, debate panel," and uh, and he got a lot of applause for that line. Yeah. And, and I'm not claiming he's a good candidate. I'm not claiming he should well, be Well, we do have some inside information. I have a, I have a source uh, that uh, worked for one of his companies and has a lot of insight. So maybe uh, maybe I can get more uh, more stories uh, from from uh, from that person. Yeah, that would be interesting because I don't really know enough about this guy. I just think it's funny that like there's a candidate who didn't vote as we've been advocating here on the show, yeah. but he's still being forced to say he's a Trump supporter. And it's, it's, it's kind of terrible for the Republican party that, I mean, whether the indictments are valid or not, right. That there's so much going on with Trump and yet the Republicans are still, whether they're going to nominate him or not, they're still mm -hmm. throwing in with him on some level. Is he, is he from, is he from Florida? Where's, where is he from now? Like, what, what, where is he claiming he's from for in terms of the presidential campaign? Oh, uh, Trump? No, no. Um, uh, Vivek. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, I'll look I it mean, up. it's got to be tough. What, what would we then have three candidates trying to claim they're from Florida? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 going to be tough. Um, uh, He was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. So that explains a lot. Well, I mean, do you Fucking think he Ohio. would claim that? I mean, that's that's a good, like, that's good rhetorically. That's good, right? Oh, oh yeah. from the middle of the country. As a Michigan person, I'm, I'm mandatory. I have to say. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I have to fuck with Ohio. All you, yeah. all you Ohio listeners out there. But I, I don't know where he's running from. Let's see if I can find that out. But yeah, I mean, we have a problem right now. We have too many candidates from Florida. Well, because with the way DeSantis flipped florida so red if you could run for the presidential nomination from florida as a republican that gives you a large leg up theoretically in the electoral college and i think that's why they're they're, they're all trying to do that yeah yeah i think that's right well nobody i don't cares know. about I, that i i don't know i it's most most of the time the person ahead early in the polls is not the person that ends up being the candidate um, often... And a 38, look, I don't mean to be like crass, dude, but like a 38 year old businessman who is Indian is not going to win the nomination. I'm sorry. Like, would it be cool if like somebody different won it? But how many times have we seen a businessman come out and like I said, Ross Perot, Steve Forbes, how many times have they tried? Well, Trump. And, and they, yeah, Trump's different though. He's, he's more of a celebrity. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
I just, especially his age, right? He's, he's our generation. I mean, he could come on this show and shoot the shit with us, essentially. Yeah, I just, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have my contact bring him on the show. That would be yeah, hilarious. Yeah, and maybe... <laughs> Maybe in twenty, thirty years, he he wins the nomination. I know you have to I be just, like eighty plus in senile in order right. to be president. <laughs> you have to you have to trip over sandbags and not read the teleprompter and <laughs> fall talk up about the tra- stairs. Yeah, and talk about transgesterism. Speaking of, I thought you were going to hit the drop, man. Oh, I was going to wait for you to say it and then hit it. Oh, okay. So, as commander in chief, uh, I was proud to have ended the ban on transgender Americans. Way to step on it, Justin. I had to step on it because, <laughs> man, what is going on with old musicians? Like, when I was reading these stories, part of me was like, is this what people are talking about when old people are just out of touch with the culture? Old man or is there clouds. Is, is, is that what it is? Or is there something going on here? Something else going on here? Because this week, Alice Cooper and Carlos Santana both spoke out against transgenderism in different ways and i'm gonna i'm gonna read from these articles so the first article is a billboard article about alice cooper says he calls gender affirming care for trans kids a fad and this is what cooper said i find it wrong when you've got a six-year-old who has no idea he just wants to play and you're confusing him telling him yeah you're a boy but you could be a girl if you want to be I mean, if you identify as a tree, I'm going, come on, what are we, in a Kurt Vonnegut novel? It's so absurd that it's gone now to the point of absurdity. And then the article continues. Cooper then took aim at the whole woke thing at large, claiming that society has taken progressive language too far. Who's making the rules, he asked. It's getting to the point now where it's laughable. If anybody was trying to make a point on this thing, they turned it into a huge comedy. I don't know one person that agrees with the woke thing. And then this is part of what I find so farcical here. This article basically responds fact checks. <laughs> fact check like uh, just so we don't report the news anymore, we fact checks random celebrity quotes. Despite Cooper's claims, research show that gender affirming care significantly reduces rates of depression and suicidality among transgender youth. Meanwhile, medical professionals providing gender-affirming care point out that minors are not able to make these life-altering decisions by themselves and that the Endocrine Society and the World Professional Association for Transgender Health do not recommend gender-affirming surgery for anyone under the age of 18. All right. Well, we've got to fact check that. We know for a fact that people under the age of 18 are getting adedictomies and chopadicophamies and uh, breast removal, breast addition. We know this is happening. This these these clinics are uh, there are mentally unstable doctors. We see them all over TikTok, recruiting there for their services to people largely under eighteen, and they are definitely doing this under eighteen. They are doing hormonal therapy and they are doing surgery. Uh, this is a fact. This is be, being uncovered by groups like the Gays Against Groomers and other groups, um, uh, and including there's a. A, a trans group that is doing this because they think it's super unhealthy um, to transition uh, children. And so this is, this is just known facts. So I have to fact check the fact check there. I give it. Three yeah, and I, and I, right. And I don't, I don't want to s- super go into all the specific trans issues that we've talked about before. I, I more want to talk about the conversation that is going on here. 
And what I mean by that is the following. First of all, if you're that concerned about these quotes, why even report on them? <laughs> well, it's misinformation. We have to we have to report on misinformation. Well, but that's the thing. Like, if it actually was misinformation, would you actually believe it to be dangerous? I, I don't think you would. <laughs> well, it, it sounds... I know, uh, man, I'm, I'm quoting Atlas Shrugged all over the place. Doesn't this sound like a newspaper article from Atlas Shrugged? You know, where they're... they're, yes. they're whatever the thing they're saying is the opposite. You have to, like, read what they're denying and say, oh, well, that must be what really happens since they're denying it. Yeah. But, Justin, have we well, talked before about our disappointment in the the current era sort of music culture where it's just so establishment, so pro-establishment? And here you have some of these old trailblazers, you know, of of culture, uh, the the grandfathers pointing out, hey, you're 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 not doing your job anymore. Right. Like, I think that's part of it, too. That amazes me. Well, and, th- and that's exactly what I was going to get at here is remember when Haley Williams, we talked about her coming out and saying, you know, if you support Ron DeSantis, I don't want you as a, uh, a fan and as a supporter of my music. Mm-hmm. Remember that whole story? Yeah. Yeah. This is the real Atlas Shrugged or Randian thing that's going on here. And I don't really invoke that explicitly on the show very often. I don't really talk about Randian things explicitly or label things Randian, but that's the inversion here, right? Yeah. Which you know, the whole inversion of selfishness and selflessness Rand does, but that's what's going on here where they're trying to portray these people, right? Where we talk about, uh, we talk about Alice Cooper and we talk about Carlos Santana and I'm going to read a quote by a couple quotes by Carlos Santana here in a moment to, to back up what I'm saying. They would say that they are pro establishment and Mm -hmm. that Haley Williams and her ilk, her generation are anti establishment. It's the same thing going to warp tour back in the day and gym class heroes, you know, said, you know, fight, fight the power vote Democrat. It's, it's, it's the same concept where, they are trying so hard to create a myth of the idea of a trans genocide, right? The idea that they're creating a class of people, as you were just saying, and then saying they're being genocided and being genocided doesn't mean they're being killed. It literally means people are being discouraged from transitioning or saying that transgender is a psychological condition rather than saying it's an actual thing. So the genocide is they want to be recognized as a legitimate iteration of human existence that doesn't need to be uh, argued against or or fought with or treated it just Mm -hmm. they are the same as everybody else i know i know we always uh, connected back to the sort of the cluster beification of of culture but it's exactly darvo it's uh deny attack reverse victim and offender it's exactly the same thing right it's this isn't a trans genocide this is a gay genocide we're converting otherwise healthy, uh, uh, just psychologically damaged gay and lesbian youth into trans experiments and and then leaving them to suffer without, you know, without any sexual capability anymore. And I appreciate you saying that because that is something I, as a straight person, would have never even thought about. But you who are involved in the quote unquote community, if you allow me to say that, would be able to be aware of that and pontificate it more because you observe it more and you think about it more. Because let's, as let's you said, heteronormative for... approach here. Correct. My heteronormative mm-hmm. approach, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. 
Yeah, but, but that's what it is. The, I mean, we're destroying... Yeah. There's a whole generation of missing gay youth. Well, and, and that's the thing about these rock stars. These rock stars, look about Queen, right? Look at Queen, Freddie Mercury. In the rock community, these people, Alice Cooper, Carlos Santana, Freddie Mercury... Did they grow up and spend their lives reifying a psychology that was pro or anti-establishment and was pro or anti-hedonism? And what I mean by that is Freddie Mercury could be gay because what was going on backstage for all of these rock stars? It was just pure hedonism. Yeah. And for us to believe, because what we're essentially being told about these rock stars is now they're pro-establishment. So you're going to tell me their entire life they developed their brain to fight the establishment, fight the power, and now, suddenly, they're pro-power. It just so happens, oh, okay, now uh, I got everything I wanted, now the, the power agrees with me. So because the power agrees with me, I'm going to speak out against transgender people? It's very strange the myth they're trying yeah. to get us to, to buy, isn't it? That, yeah, I mean, are oh, we supposed to believe that uh, Alice Cooper and Carlos Santana are conservatives now, are Nazis now? Right, right. And I mean, they, they really do it because of, look what they're trying to do with Carlos Santana. First of all, I think his response to them is absolutely brilliant. So this is what he originally said. It's a clip from a concert across several news outlets. Uh, this is what he said at a concert in New Jersey. When God made you and me, before we came out of the womb, you know who you are and what you are. Later on, when you grow out of it, you see things and you start believing that you could be something that sounds good, but you know it ain't right. Because a woman is a woman and a man is a man. That's it. Whatever you want to do in the closet, that's your business. I'm okay with that. So, William, from my perspective, and this is where we get into what you were saying last trip into the midside about where, where you look at it from a classist perspective or not. And it fundamentally yeah. changes your interpretation yeah. from my perspective. This is what I was just talking about with the hedonism and the, the do what you want and the fight, the power, mm -hmm. fight, the power, do what you ever you want. Who cares what the establishment says, what you do in the closet, that's your business. What you do with your life, that's your business. But don't try and tell me that reality isn't what reality is. And I think that was what everyone in America could always agree with what rock stars were saying. I don't think this is fundamentally anything different than what he had ever thought. But now they're trying to p portray him as some sort of Christian conservative by highlighting the God part of this quote. Are they not? Yeah, I think that I think that the, if you. The air, the air that rock stars make is the air of hedonism. But the fact that they're pointing out, hey, do whatever you want is not necessarily today. It seems scandalous, right? Because what they're saying is I have my own judgment, but you can do whatever you want. That cannot stand under the woke religion, Justin. It just can't. Right. You must evade reality for them. Right. It's not just that they're evading right. reality. You must do it for them. Otherwise, you know, they can't get their narcissistic feed. Otherwise, their their psychology falls apart. They become... Uh, they they just become an empty shell. They they realize they are an empty shell, which is the death of them. 
Right, which is anti-Rockstar. I mean, look at, again, look at this quote. You know who you are and what you are. Later on, when you grow out of it, you see things and you start believing that you could be something that sounds good, but you know it ain't right. That is essentially the entire journey of the Rockstar. That's why yeah. they engage in hedonism, because they're trying to get that self-acceptance, and they try and get it from Outside second-handed themselves. ways yeah, exactly. of hedonism. That's what he's saying. He's still Carlos Santana. He's still the rock star. And then he even says it, right? So he gave a statement to Billboard. I presume they asked him to, like, decry what he said or not. And this is what he said. Apologize. You're supposed to apologize. Right. Here is my personal goal that I strive to achieve every day. I want to honor and respect all persons' ideals and beliefs, whether they are LGBTQ or not. This is the planet of free will, and we have all been given this gift. I will now pursue this goal to be happy and have fun. What Didn't I just say hedonism, William? And for everyone to believe what they want and fall in their hearts without fear. It takes courage to grow and glow in the light that you are, and to be true, genuine, and authentic. We grow and learn to shine our light with love and compliments. Have a glorious existence. Peace. So do you see how he said the same thing? He just didn't say it as explicitly? Yeah, yeah. Well, and like, this think, is this is more coded to confuse no one. No one who follows yes. that collectivist mindset that we talk about will be able to parse this right. They they don't see Correct. this as threatening, but it is exactly the same statement. It's it's the same exact statement because he's saying be true, genuine, and authentic to what to what you are born as, what God made you, and do whatever you want, have fun, right? You have free will, have fun. It's literally the exact same thing. So. I, I I think it is hilarious, William, that Carlos Santana, Alice Cooper, and you know other musicians were were quoted in um, the Alice Cooper article are now the ones who are most staunchly speaking out against these things. I think that the fact that we've been we it, it's it's comedic timing on, on our part. I think. Always, uh, always ahead of the curve that we are, that we've been pointing out, gosh, it must have been at least the last year we've been harping on it, that about this musician culture just being so pro-establishment. It just feels so weird, you know? It just feels so weird. And uh, and now that now some of the uh, older generation are coming out, I wonder if you combine that with the whole, uh, what was the um, country music singer's name? I can't remember his name. Um, you know, if you combine it with that, where he was basically apolitically sort of uh uh pointing out political errors um if if this is going to recover i mean apparently a bunch of people are listening to country music now because of that song going viral so the the rich men in richmond guy yeah yeah uh, i mean he was never really famous or anything so i i think that song had an impact in the inverse sense of what we're saying here where yeah. because it was decried because it was attacked by the left it made people want to look at it more but i mean just look at jason aldean right with you know what was the song not in my city or not in my town or whatever yeah that people people hated that too well just the twitterati right and maybe maybe now we will see younger musicians start to take the follow the lead here But one last thing to talk about here, and it's another thing that we've been talking about for a long time. And to me, this is intuitive. And it's hilarious to me that there's a whole study of this. Because this is something I've had a problem with for a long time. Paper straws. 
So there's oh, an article God. by My Sky cold, News. dead hands, Justin. They will have to arrest me if they make us do paper straws. Well, it's what, what's crazy to me, William, is that paper straws are still going on. Right When I moved here to Florida, I was like, Disney is doing paper straws here, and there are still other people who try to give you paper straws in other places. It's not as common in, common in Florida, but anytime Disney gives me a paper straw, I just, I just don't use it. And there's a point I'm going to get to here, but I want to read some of the things about this study. Okay, so this was done in Europe. This is reported by Sky News, and it's paper straws contain potentially toxic chemicals, which could pose a risk to people, wildlife, and the environment, a study has found. Uh, is this Paul, a Prop 65 uh, warning? Do we need a Prop 65 warning for the pro- for the podcast? For those of you not in California, every building has a, and everything you buy has to have a Prop 65 warning because it, it, contain, it may contain a ke- chemical that may cause cancer, which... If you guys know anything about cancer, it's the dose that matters. So, like, if it has, like, one atom of, like, some dangerous chemical, you have to have a Prop 65 warning. Well, right. And actually, that is a great point of what I was about to make about this study. So, I do think this study is intuitive, but also at the same time, like, it's what you said. It's over the long term. So, this is what it says. Poly and... Perfluoroalkali substances, PFAs, which are long-lasting and potentially destructive to human health over time, were discovered in the majority of paper and bamboo straws tested. Bamboo? <laughs> are, gra- somebody, are you sticking a bamboo stick in your drink? My goodness. <laughs> the groundbreaking European study analyzed straws made from a range of materials from shops and fast food restaurants and found 18 out of 20 brands of paper straws contained PFAs with a lower frequency of detection in plastic and glass versions. The research did not... Whoa. Hold on. If you're using a glass straw, you are absolutely fucking batshit insane. (laughs) Because you're going to hurt yourself? Yes. Yes. Imagine using a pipette and drinking out of it. The research did not look at whether PFAs leaked out of the straws into the liquids. Well, don't you think, William, maybe the research should have looked at that? Probably, but Justin, have you used a paper straw before? It just dissolves into the liquid, right? So, first of all, I remember, I remember. I think it was the first time I got a paper straw. Might have been on a trip, uh, because I remember we like went out for ice cream or something and I got a milkshake and it was a paper straw. And I'm like, this, this, you cannot drink a milkshake through a paper straw. Like, first of all, it's going to disintegrate. Second of all, it can't handle it. Right. Like there's just, it's not made for that sort of thing. Right. So it's exactly what you're saying. Okay. A couple of things you just said, I'm going to read the last two quotes I put in here because it's what you just said. PFA concentrations were found to be low, and since straw use is seldom, the Belgian researchers says they pose a limited risk to human health. However, they warned that chemicals could accumulate in the body over many years. And that's what this is an issue of, William. This is an issue of what are our habits, and what are we saying are acceptable or not, and why are we saying they're acceptable or not? And... Then it's the following, what you were just saying. The presence of PFAs in the bulk of paper straws was due to them being used as a water-repellent coating in some cases, the researchers added. So here's the issue, William. Paper is not a material that works as a straw, so you need to fortify it with something else. Isn't it logical that that something else would have chemicals in it that in the long run would be harmful? 
So no, why do we even do something called plastic, which we invented for exactly these kinds of purposes? Okay, right. But we're talking about non-plastic paper straws because uh, we're not allowed to use plastic anymore. But you even raised an even better point, okay? And this is something I've thought about. I don't remember if I brought this up on the show. I've actually almost completely stopped using straws. Yeah. Because I was thinking about it, right? And I order, I mainly order water now. Seldomly I order order soda. Pop. When did we start using straws to drink water from a glass in a restaurant? I, I don't know. Is it a cleanliness thing? Like people think that the glass isn't clean, so they'd rather drink out of a straw? I, that's the only thing I can think of. It's sort of like masks for your mouth. I, I would say this, though, Justin. From a paper cup, you know, like, like you know, if you just go to a fast food restaurant, they just give you a paper cup. Yeah. I would prefer to drink out of the plastic straw than directly from the cup. Because you just taste the cup. You know what I mean? Especially if it's water. So then that's what the issue is then. It's that so many people are eating from fast food places that they're not using legitimate... Yeah uh cupware that's not the word yeah Yeah, glassware that's so like when i go to a restaurant i don't like yesterday we we ate uh breakfast slash lunch slash brunch i don't know what we fuck you want to call it it was i had a steak at two in the afternoon and they called it steak and eggs probably i was at at brunch sunday fun day (laughs) i was at brunch i was at brunch at disney i was with my wife though so does that make it less gay or more gay beard 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 okay now i'm a beard all right whatever i'm a beard who can't grow a beard <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yeah it they gave me a, a glass with water in it and they gave me a paper straw i didn't use it right what why, why do i need to use a straw for that so the whole thing's very bizarre and then it's like you said we really need straws for like milkshakes but paper yeah. straws are terrible for milkshakes I think I'm going to try and apply for some sort of disability so that people are forced to provide me a reasonable reasonable accommodation of a plastic straw. Do you think that'll work in California? I think I can I can probably engineer a way to do that. I mean, but, you could uh, probably get a disability pass at Disney, so that's true. I only get plastic straws. But Justin, I you know I I didn't I I should have mentioned this at the top of the show this weekend. Uh, there's a casino close by to where I live here. And we went this weekend to go to the steak joint there and give it a try. And it was delicious. And guess what? No plastic straws there. No straws at all, in fact. Uh, nice glassware. Uh, I had a, uh, uh, an adult beverage. I had tap water because I'm not fancy. I don't need the fancy $10 water, uh, bottled, uh, probably locally. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no straws anywhere to be seen. So, uh, I think, uh, I think you're right about the fast food thing. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't thought of that before, so I appreciate it. <clears throat> in and out, in you... and out here uses paper straws, Justin. So they have to, don't they legally? I, I, I don't use paper straws at my store. Oh, okay. Interesting. I don't know. I'm surprised in and out. I would think do that, that might be a LA County thing. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Have you had in and out where you are now? Yeah. In and out. But that, I think that's by choice. I think that's hmm. their choice. I don't think they're Interesting. doing it legally. Yeah. I don't know. Look, it's to me, it's intuitive, right? We figured out something that worked and now <laughs> we're going backwards and we're being yeah. like, wait, the thing we're doing backwards is let's find a scientific study that shows that the thing we're going backwards to is worse than the thing we went forward to. Didn't we already do the science? Isn't that what humanity is? Is that why we develop plastic straws to begin with? So, yeah. 
Stop using straws. If you need a straw for a milkshake and they won't let you have one, look, honestly, you can buy a collapsible metal straw with um, like a little bit of silicone at the top so you don't have to put your mouth on the metal. All right. I, that's what I have for Disney. And I don't, if I'm a little different from you, William, like I agree with you. I hate Dixie cups. Did you yeah. ever, when you were a kid, have a Dixie yes. cup dispenser in your house and like whenever yeah. you had to rinse with the water, it sucked? Yeah. Right. And there are certain things. Remember the little wooden spoons for ice cream in the cafeteria? I hate wooden spoons and wooden utensils, too. Yes. All I taste right. is the wood. Right. And so even, like, thinking of that right now, I can taste the wood again. So I'm the same way as you with that. But I will even, at Disney, like, if you give me a water cup, I won't use a straw. I'll just drink it from the, the paper. That's not too bad for me. But, yeah, like... Come on, guys, just hold yourself to a higher standards. Enough yeah. with this paper straw crap. We don't need to we, do we, studies to know that what didn't work before isn't working now. We have to listen to Fauci on this one. We've got to follow the science. That's the funny thing, right? We're going forward with anti-science and then doing science to retroactively redo what we already did. Like, we're remaking remakes now in the scientific community. All right, that's enough about life on the midside. Let's when I start talking about remakes and movies, let's talk about uh, some art in the hopeful romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Just go to midside.com and midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link. And in that episode link, there is a join code for the Discord. Uh, You'll see some interesting things in the Discord that we don't always talk about. Like I put in some video of William, that Argentinian presidential candidate, Javier Malai, Malay, M-I-I-L-E-I. Have you heard of this guy? Yeah, seems uh, like a firebrand. Yeah, they keep calling him Trumpian, but I don't know. When he talks, he sounds more like Ayn Rand reincarnated than Trump to me. <laughs> he, 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 I think he took a, a page from the El Salvador guy, uh, who they're now calling a dictator, which is funny, um, and has decided enough is enough down there in Argentina. Yeah, him hilariously screaming, uh, the, you can't disagree with them. If you argue with them and disagree with them, they will kill you. That's different from like normal debate. So you get yeah. to see some of that. And then Midsider Lucid posted an article about how Chicago Democrats ask gay or a Chicago Democrat ask gang members to limit shootings to nighttime, uh, which is <laughs> farcical. The quota is getting too high during the day. Could you please limit it to dark? Darkness. Right. To which no bro Ed Joe replied, they do say sunlight is the best bulletproof vest. So some some good uh good farce uh in there. And that's also where I post the trailers for trailer takedown. And this week there's only gonna be one trailer. You all should know what it is if you listen to this show for a while. But first, I want to do a quick review because this movie was absolutely terrible and I don't want to keep talking about it. I literally was bored through most of the <laughs> oh, movie. No. There was, was a blue beetle? Blue... No, blue... 
Blue, Be- Blue Beetle has to be better than this movie. It has to be better than this movie. Okay, so my wife, for some reason, decided she wanted to see Gran Turismo. I've been trying to get my wife to see Last Voyage of the De- Demeter for two weeks. <laughs> it's going to be won't... out of theaters before you go to go see it. It'll I know, but she, theater. she doesn't want to see it because it's a horror movie. And she can't deal with jump scares, dude. Like, I've taught her all the principles of jump scares. I'm like, when they slow things down, when the musical cues are going in a certain pattern, and you know they're trying to set you up, you know when they're building anticipation, you know there's a jump scare coming, and they're going to do it on the offbeat. Yet every time there's a jump scare in any movie, even if it's like a comedy movie, and like they have a random jump scare in there for comedic effects, she gets scared. So she doesn't want to see Last Voyage of the Demeter. So instead, we've seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, and now Gran Turismo. Okay? Were you the only people in the theater? It was pretty empty. It was pretty empty. And to the point that she said, if this is what the theater is going to be like, I appreciate this because it's not that full. Which is true, right? Like, I don't want a super full theater, but also I'd like to not be bored during the movie I'm watching. So here's my one-sentence review. Gran Turismo is a paint-by-the-numbers picture that rushes through its packed plot so quickly that it's ultimately hollow. This could have been three movies, William. So this is about these kids who are tested to see if by doing a simulation, they can race in the actual race. So it starts out with, as an actual pro racer, it starts out with the guy qualifying. Then it starts with the GT Academy. Then it goes with getting his license as a professional driver. He has to do place top four and he has a certain number of races he can do it in. And then it finally is him racing Le Mans. Even what I described could have been four movies. I probably would have done a movie of him qualifying and then winning the GT Academy. Then I probably would have done a movie of him qualifying for his license. And then I would have done a movie of him winning Le Mans. As is, though, can you imagine racing through that plot, William? And I use the pun intentionally. (laughs) That is a lot. That is a whole lot to go through. It sounds like it should have been a miniseries, not a, a single movie. Yeah, a miniseries or, like I said, a trilogy. It's the same thing. Remember when they did the Han Solo movie and I was like, why are we doing the Kessel Run as, like, one sub part of this? Like, they could have split that into three movies as well. The part where he was... That was another thing. I think, wasn't it originally going to be a series? Yes. And then they made it a movie? Which is dumb. Like, it doesn't make any sense as a movie. Why would you not want a Han Solo series? Like, if there's one character who you can get a series for... if anything is going to print you money... Right, right. If anything's going to print you money, like a beloved character doing, you know... Having him be like, have it be a reverse evil into good guy drama, right? Have him be a very unscrupulous rogue, but then slowly turn, you know, maybe with uh, influence from uh, from the Wookiee, uh, have him turn into the lovable rogue that we know. Well, yeah, and I don't want to relitigate that. I mean, when we talked about it originally, there was a whole thing where Lord and Miller were kicked off, and I think they had a good story originally that made sense. Yeah. But they wanted to yeah. keep uh, Daenerys Targaryen. I don't remember the actor's name, Amelia Clark. They wanted to keep her character alive. There was stuff there. I don't want to relitigate that. And I understand that Gran Turismo in itself is not a brand that you can just have a trilogy based off of, but you have to believe in your ability as a creative to be able to create new characters and create new trilogies you can't always be relying on ip and it seemed like that's what they were doing here because at no point did i give a shit about any of these characters or the main character i mean don't get me wrong david harbour is a great actor and he did well in this 
But beyond that, like, I didn't care. There was one part of the movie I wasn't bored where this guy gets in a major accident. Okay? He gets in a major accident. This is before Le Mans. This is in the third act, basically. He gets in a major accident, and he has to decide whether he wants to keep racing or not. And that point was actually compelling because it's like, oh, I'm, we're seeing what this guy has to go through psychologically. Because most of the movie, they were like, racing simulators can't do it. Gamers can't do it. They don't know what the real life toll is. And then you actually showed the real life toll there. And there was a bit of a psychological turmoil. So that part, I was falling asleep before that. That part I woke up for because I, it actually engaged me. But you want to even know the problem with that part, William? They show the accident. Then the guy wakes up in the hospital and they're like, oh, by the way, you killed a spectator with your accident, but it's not your fault. Why, William, would you not show the spectator dying? Or when it happened, why would you not show two ambulances rather than one? Right. They just show the ambulance go to him and take him and medevacing him out of there. They don't show they show the car go into the stands. But they don't show the spectator ever be attended to or anything or give us any hint of it. And maybe they're trying to do it from the perspective of the main character, the the shock of it. But directorially, nothing was done to emphasize the shock when he found out. It was all on the kid's reaction. It's just even that part was undermined. So that's the best part of the movie. And even that part was undermined by, uh, I thought, poor choices. So to sum up, Gran Turismo gets a pure just no rating. Don't even spend your time giving this movie a chance. And you know I don't say that often. All right, I want to move on to Trailer Takedown, William. Let's do it. Okay, there's only one movie trailer that matters this week. I didn't even bother to look for any other trailers. The Rebel Moon trailer is finally out, and I think there's a lot to talk about because there's so many influences in this trailer, and I want to know, like, I know you're a Star Wars guy. I tried to get Daniel to come on. He's busy today. I mean, he's always busy, but he's busily, busy specifically today because I want to know some of, like, the how this is deviating from uh, Star Wars or not. Is this actually a legitimate original piece or is this just Zack Snyder doing fan wank fan fiction? Uh, so what I think William we should do here is I think hit the trailer takedown drop and then do you want to like go through the trailer and pause it at certain points and talk about what we were just seeing? All right, let's do it. Trailer takedown. All right, so let's go Final ahead here. Trailer. Final. That's funny. And now you can hit the way to step on it, Justin. <laughs> I can't because I have to switch when I do that. Oh, I didn't know you uh, were going to do that. Way to step on it, Justin. There we go. I didn't know you were going to do that. You should have warned me. That's what we talk about. <laughs> no to the pre-show. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's see if this works. Here we go. So we got the Netflix logo some uh, grass well the opening is really interesting because that reminds and me of Man of Steel with Zod hand. yeah that yeah, hand reminds me of Zod story of the princess Issa so we've got the guy with horns and then uh, a nice uh, princess I'm assuming uh, a spaceship in myth she was called the redeemer 
It was said this child would stop the madness of war. I like the hats they're wearing, the, uh, the covers. But she was to usher in a new age of peace and compassion. Okay, pause it for a second. You are not going to convince me that... Or let me say it this way. I'm going to ask you. Do you think the female-led new trilogy, Ray, comes from Zack Snyder's pitch? Because remember, he pitched Star Wars to Disney first. And couldn't you see him pitching a female hero and this being the female hero? Because supposedly Rebel Moon is the rewrite of this. And wasn't the whole point that is Ray the one to fulfill the the prophecy and bring balance to the universe? Yeah, yeah. I think I think certainly you're seeing similar tropes here. Uh, I mean, it's the genre tropes. It's got to, some of these have to be in there, but uh, it's interesting. It's it's interesting that knowing that history, uh, seeing some of these visuals, you can see how um, similar plot and visual. Because this is a visual, you know, we know he's a visual writer. Yeah, right? that he storyboards this stuff, so you can see how a lot of this could have could have uh, easily been uh, translated into the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And by the way, I do appreciate that instead of bringing balance to the universe, she was to usher in a new age of peace and compassion. Zack Snyder actually defined what balance means in his yes, version. Yes. Yeah. Well, which is what, it, which is implied in Yoda, a lot of Yoda's speeches in the uh, original trilogy. But. Implied, but to the point that it's not uh, directly stated enough that people argue over what it means and if balance has exactly. actually been restored. And that's part of why the mythology of Star Wars is so convoluted at this point. Yeah. Yeah. All right, keep going. I was given memories of a world Exploding I will structure. never see. Loyalty to a king I cannot serve. And love for a child. Lots of distractions. I could not say. Spaceships. Well, presumably this woman is the grown-up version of the Princess Issa, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we don't know. I, I mean, I, you know more about the background. This, this is this is me absorbing. You know, I, this is like the third time I've watched this trailer. Well, I mean, um, I, I I've been intentionally avoiding all the write ups and everything because yeah. the problem with the community nowadays is they're always going to interpret all of this with the leftist or collectivist bent to oh, it. Yeah. And I don't want to get involved in that because I think this trailer is vintage Snyder, and I think that. He's continually showing that we can trust him, especially because did you notice that his two co-writers are Kurt Johnstead from 300 and Shay Hatton from Army of the Dead? And Army oh, of the I Dead, of that. course, had the, yeah. the famous line about that I love about, you know, you know, we're not in America anymore. So technically it's a freer country. And then we know 300. And I thought this trailer yeah. is very I think this trailer is very 300 meets Star Wars. Yeah, and it's every frame a painting here. I just paused, and it's uh, two ships flying over that farmland with a mountain in the background, and just a perfectly framed shot, you know? True story. I am watching along with you with mine muted, and I paused at the same place, so we are on the same. <laughs> we are sync. We are sync. That's good, because I'm trying really hard here. All right, you want to keep going? All right, let's go. What do you think they want? Everything. Okay, pause it. Can I just say how fucking brilliant that line is? Like, yeah. that is such an epic, iconic line because it, it shows you what is really going on in war. And when we're talking about um, crap, I can't think of the word because my brain is so 
hijacked by the left and fascism. We're talking about totalitarianism, which we know Snyder's villains yeah. are all totalitarians. What do they want? Well, it's total. They want everything. Right. I think that, dude, I think, I don't know. I love that line. Am, am I over? Yeah. Well, and now, and now I'm paused on the first order banners. Uh, which is another great visual of the guy stepping down from the ship. So, uh, oh yeah, and by uh, the way, I think it's hilarious. Early in the trailer, the guy who played the father in Gran Turismo was in the trailer, and this guy's in the trailer. He was also the evil uh, racer in Gran Turismo. So, I think it's funny that two yeah. actors from Gran Turismo are in this movie, and they were in that movie as well. All right, let's keep going. Oh, hold on now. Okay, stop. Okay, the Scargiver? Like, Skywalker? Scargiver? Come on. That has to be... That has to come from that, yes? Maybe, maybe. Uh, They do have her slicing up someone, giving someone scars, so... Right. uh, You know, why why just tell when you can show? Right. Which, by the way, vintage... Vintage Zack Snyder female action star, right? We see echoes of Sucker Punch here. Yeah, yeah. Which that will continue. And it's it's close in knife fighting. It's not her throwing someone across the room. So uh, a little bit more uh, believable as well. Well, I think besides Sucker Punch, which was supposed to be over the top. Oh, yeah, that was fantastical. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think his his female action stars always have been that way. I mean, Wonder Woman is a demigod, but the way he handled her was very realistic, I thought. Yeah. Okay, this is I think this female theme is gonna continue. Yep, it is. Oh well let me back up to one sixteen. One sixteen, okay. I am a child of war. I was taught that love is weakness. Planting a flag on a rock. There's a difference between justice and revenge. Uh, okay. The, the the queen of the Borg um coming in. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's a giant spider. I hate spiders, dude. I hate. Why does uh, yeah, it? Yeah, but it reminds me of the of the the board queen. It does, and I, it is a spider. But it reminds me of the board queen, and not in a bad way. This is. I'm not saying this is like, oh, this is bad. It's like you can see the things, the themes, the visual themes he's drawing on here. Yeah, because there are elements here that look like Dune as well, but the new oh, yeah. Dune, and it, you know, the new Dune. Like I refuse to see because I think Dennis Villanueva is very. Uh, overrated i think he's very boring and i look at the elements snyder does in here and they they outpace that in just a few minutes but what's interesting to be here right is the image of a spider right because a spider is usually associated with women and this is a giant female spider and she's talking about there's a difference between justice and revenge and the idea of a female spider mates and then kills the male spider and then listen to the dialogue of, of the main character, of the Scargiver, who I assume is the chosen one to, to bring balance to the universe. I assume that's the same princess from the beginning of the story. The idea that she's saying, I was raised in war. So, yeah. you know, I don't know about love. And that's an interesting meditation to put for a female character. It's like the yeah. inverse of Wonder Woman, where Zack Snyder has always been very careful to show how important it is that compassion comes from women. The relationship between the son and the daughter, when we talk about Clark and Martha, and the wife and the husband, when we talk about Leonidas and uh, what is her name? 
Oh, I forgot. I can't remember because I'm just 300 or Game of Thrones is coming to my head. Lena Headley, yeah. <laughs> right? I can't remember the, yeah. the queen, the queen's name right now. Cause I can only think of Cersei from Game of Thrones, right? That's how much that has become an iconic character for her. But all of those show how the woman provides the compassion for the male, right? And that's where the male sense of psychological surety comes from. And if you take away that compassion, like Batman, Bruce Wayne lacked it. In Dawn of Justice, you see how he lacked any sort of compassion and any sense of love. And that's what Wonder Woman showed. And now we're seeing a world that's riddled by war, and its main character is saying that. That by being raised by war, I've lost my sense of love. And what is she? She's a killer. She's a scar giver. Do you see how I think this movie is not just a meditation of war, but on a a, a meditation of femininity? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Let's continue. There is a price to pay for your defiance. One moment. I do love this part. Hold on. I don't want no trouble. I thought there was more, but there wasn't. I think that that is a brilliant concretization of the psychological seduction, the evil of totalitarianism. The idea that what the part he loves is being crowned. Yeah. Like if you're king, if you're ruler, is that the most important part? Getting the crown put on you? (laughs) In fact, that's probably the scariest part. I would think so. But the, I don't know. I think that's a, you could argue that this trailer from a certain perspective doesn't show evil, but I think the evil is right there. Yeah. And I, I think it's hidden in plain sight. And I think a lot of people who see this trailer might not see that. I think that scene is incredibly evil. All right, I have it at 150. Yeah. 150, okay. And here we go. I don't want no trouble. We're not here to bring any. Are you ready? Pause it. So, from director Zack Snyder. Yeah, I, I paused it with a lady with the fl- the flaming swords, but that's a couple things, right? One, uh, I don't want any trouble. We're not here to bring any. First of all, that's like very genre tropey. And second of all, isn't that very like, especially with the cloak and everything, isn't that very like Luke and Obi-Wan in the original Star Wars? Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, they're going around and they're not trying to cause trouble, but they are. And, the, you know, Luke never intends to cause trouble. And I get the same sense that that's going to be with this main character as well that she is as much of a product of her society as she is of who she wants to be and i think we're going to see a lot of internal struggle there mm-hmm. and then what Agreed. do you think is going on with these swords um i don't know it's going to be interesting to see what the in, in universe uh view of it is but it i justin can you imagine if he actually does lightsaber fights correctly and it's not just the cartoonish shit we saw in Disney. Like, what a disappointment. I think we talked about this uh, with uh, Daniel during our review of uh, Star Wars back in the day. Uh, it the, the sword fighting quality just went way, way down, right? Yeah. And that was something I was always wondering here. Where I don't think there's any pretending that this isn't based on Star Wars. So how is he going to do Star Wars without lightsabers? But it looks like he is doing lightsabers and there's some sort of yeah. flaming swords or something. So 
<clears throat> I don't know. Are, are lightsabers trademarked? Can you trademark them? What can you do to make them different enough so they're not trademarked? And at what point are you sacrificing the quality of your own story to make sure that you're not being sued in reality? The whole thing's really yeah. interesting to me that there actually are lightsabers of some sort in this trailer. Yeah. All right, what point are you at? Two minutes, exactly. Two minutes. Let me go forward here. Oh, from director Zack Snyder. Okay, I'm ready. Here here we go. You and I both know fear. That's showing them that we're not afraid. Very Dune-ish with the... uh, Yeah, this part's very Dune. But then he has these animals, which is interesting. Yeah, jumping on an animal and flying... That's an awesome shot, by the way. Yeah. With the lens flare and everything. Some interesting aliens. Yeah. This is a great line. But the myth is indestructible. Pause. Yeah. That's the very 300 influence in this interpretation of Star Wars, is the idea that Star Wars never addresses, like, the real power of the rhetoric. And what I mean by that is... I think that's the Dune influence as well, right? Because Dune is all about myth and how myth shapes culture and thus shapes humanity. Right. But I'm saying that was already in Snyder from 300, so it would kind of be inescapable with the Dune. But yeah, your point is well taken. And I think... But my point is, I think that's one of the weak parts of Star Wars, that... For the it to be a galaxy affecting, it's very limited in scope to the characters. And I think that's true of especially the Disney trilogy, where it's supposed to be this grand epic scope, and it doesn't feel that way because we're so focused on the characters, especially The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi is a movie that only feels like it's affecting those characters, not the entire universe. Whereas with lines like the one we just heard, and this entire trailer, doesn't this entire trailer feel like it's impacting the entire universe? Yeah, that this myth is something that people, I'm assuming there's a little bit of time jumpiness, because it feels like this myth is what people are dealing with, and then they're sort of generating a new myth, or like fulfilling the myth. Yeah, there's questions about the timeline here, because when we get to the end of this trailer, it says parts one and parts two. So we don't know if all these scenes are pulled from both parts, or only the first part, especially because... The beginning of the trailer has the guy on his knees. I forget his name. It starts with the D. He's the one who plays the dad in Gran Turismo. He's on his knees with the people with the bags over their heads. But then at the end of the trailer, he seems to be like saying, oh, you have to fight. And he says like the epic line. That's the it's a very Snyder-esque line that we'll get to in a second here. So it almost seems to me like those two things are inversed. Like he would be encouraging the fight in the beginning. And at the end, he's captured or, you know, He's captured in the middle or at the end of the first part and then at the beginning or middle of the second part, he's encouraging the fight. So I think there's a lot of stuff out of orders here from both parts. All right, let's continue. Yep, I agree. All right, here we go. The, the, I'm on the R2-D2, or sorry, the C-3PO robot. With the red dots. The eyes. And uh, all the bugs fly on. Kids celebrating. For all that you love. Protect each other. Show them no mercy! Violin players. Who among you is willing to die for what you believe? Okay, stop it. 
So I was wrong. He's not the one who says it. I'm not sure who says it. It seems like the prophet, who I don't know who this prophet character is, right? Is he like the Yoda Jedi-esque character? But we get to the end of the trailer here, right? Who among you is willing to die for what you believe? Is that not an mm-hmm. incredibly Snyder line? Yeah. Can we say Snyderian or something now? We have like Randian <laughs> and an Aristotelian. Is it like, how do, how do we say that? Snyderian? I don't know. Snyderin? I don't know. Fra- how very frat boy. How very frat boy. But it's not frat boy, right? They <laughs> say know. it is. Just that. <laughs> I know, but the, it's it's a great point you're saying, bringing that up, because yep. it's one of those sort of, and Sucker Punch does this well, right? Sucker Punch points out that these tropes have psychological value, because throughout the the movie, you know, Baby Doll and um, her sister are being told the same thing over baby hall and sweepy. Sorry, yep. baby Doll and sweepy who yep. are the same person are being told the same cliches over and over again. But we're finding out that those cliches are helping her get over the fact that her mind is fractured and fixing her mind and fixing her brain from the trauma she's suffered. And that's the point. These quotes, these, uh, William, what's it called when a, uh, something is true. Like a is a, what's that called? Um, a tautology a tautology but no it's it's something else when we have just something that's true in philosophy it starts with like an a or something i can't remember what it is crap it's not like an amorphism my brain is not giving me the word but we have these statements because they are true axioms yes sorry axioms is the word i'm looking for axioms give our brain the base of our knowledge and the base of our psychology and we see what happens without them. So when we have something like, who among you is willing to die for what you believe? That's an axiom. That if you truly believe something is a value, you're willing to die for it because a life without it is no life at all. We see this in 300 with Leonidas and his crew, right? Many people would call that a self-sacrifice. It's not. I mean, Frank Miller even explained what I'm saying right now, and I'm sure Snyder would agree with that. We see this with Superman's death in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Colloquially, that is a self-sacrifice, but in reality, it's not. He knows that if he doesn't fight, his world dies and his love dies, right? This is my world. You are my world. And this is the same thing here. Who among you is willing to die for what you believe? And that sums up everything, because especially did you notice the group that it's over? The main character, right? The girl, I'm assuming, who's Princess Isa, Isa, yeah, the scar giver. And then the the guy who with the long hair who jumped on the back of the giant black bird. And then two characters who aren't really in the, the trailer, but one of them is Charlie Hunnam. I mean, those are two major characters who are barely in this trailer. So there's a lot more to give here, but... I think that this trailer shows us this is going to be vintage Snyder. And I think that the concerns of Netflix influencing this too much and it, it going woke or too far left, I I don't think we have to worry about that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm still worried. Uh, but Justin, we know how... Uh, we've talked a little bit, I don't know if we made it as public on the show, but a little inside baseball, you know, with, uh, Arcane, uh, you know, Arcane was made and then shopped it to, to shopped to Netflix, right? 
Do you think that this is true for this too? Was this just, I'm not, and I don't mean made as in a completely done in this case, because it's a film, a live action film, but I, I would bet that the script was already done, right? Like so, he already had the storyboards for this before he shopped it to Netflix. This is exactly what I think happened. I think he signed a contract with them and then they said, well, what ideas do you have? And he pitched them this because he's been wanting to make this. And it was yep. one that, that he didn't need rights for. I think if he could have pitched the Fountainhead, he would have, but obviously Warner Brother owns the rights to that. So he can't pitch that to them. And they're not going to want to buy the rights to that because what, you know, that's, that's too much of an investment for that. Whereas here, he knows they want a franchise. And he, I think he's a brilliant negotiator. He read the room and he said, well, I'll give them the zombie thing as a palate cleanser. And then they're going to ask me because of how popular it is, what else they can get from me and what other franchise they can get. And he pitched them this. The only thing that gives me some trepidation at all is it has been said that there is a, uh, either like a gender neutral or some sort of gender non-conforming character that identifies as a they, them. As but, Commander-in-Chief, I was proud to have ended the ban on transgender Americans. So we've ended the ban on transgender Americans in, in, uh, in Snyder films? Right. So here's the thing. That's the thing. Transgender people do exist. Non, non-binary is what I was looking for. Non-binary people do exist or people who identify as non-binary. And if you're going to have a movie about femininity and war, it kind of seems like you would need a character like that because doesn't yeah. this always happen with femininity and athletics where look at how many women on the U S national team are gay or identify as gay or try yeah. to not be more traditionally quote unquote feminine. So I think it can make sense thematically. And I don't know if it's something that Netflix would have asked him to include or not. I don't think Netflix is quite as bad as Amazon when it comes to checklist diversity. But I don't know. I do. They have all the shows where it's like, let's do this show, but let's just make it an Indian main character. Let's do this show. Every, everybody is gay. gay, 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 gay right. Gay. Right. Exactly. Trey Parker, Matt Stone. Exactly. Yep. That's a very uh, deep pull for anyone who doesn't remember <laughs> Team America. <laughs> All right, so I don't think we need to hit any sound we bites don't need here. The rest. Uh, when, when, when can I see this, Justin? It's in two parts. You, you tell us because I closed the. Oh, <laughs> uh, hold on, I'll tell you. Uh, April nineteenth, twenty twenty four, for part two. Part one, December twenty second, twenty twenty three. So we're getting it for Christmas, my friends. Right, and part so, one is uh, called the Scar Giver. So presumably, it's about the girl. A child of fire is part one. Part oh, part two one is the Scar Giver. Okay, so yeah, a child of fire. So okay, so, that we could see that the whole thing's about her because in the first part, she talks about I was born into war. Right, so that's the fire. She was born into war. It's all about that. And then the part two is the scar giver. It's all about who she is now and what she does there. So we can even get a sense of the arc from the two titles right there. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, any midsiders in uh, Northern California, we would definitely be watching this in the uh, uh, in the the place of harmony. Uh, I should have the theater room set up by then. So uh, definitely have a watch party for that with my friends. So. Yeah, I ha I have a big wrestling tournament that day, so <laughs> I, 
I don't know, guys. Don't priorities, Justin. No spoilers. Yeah, my girls are my priority. So I can't exactly. watch a movie about a female waging war and raised in war <laughs> while your females are waging war. Right, and I'm not supporting them. Like, so yeah, no spoilers, guys, when it comes out. But obviously, you we'll know, start at we'll we'll use we'll recycle the uh, the failed. Uh, um, uh, expanse watch party thread uh, where we kick justin out of the channel we'll 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 revise that to be the uh rebel moon uh spoiler discussion right and then there's the other question display. of because this comes out at the end of the year it can't win the the romantic manifestation award although maybe we're just going to judge the movies as one movie even though there's two of them so we'll just wait and give it all next year we'll see We'll see. We'll see. Well, that's yeah, that's an important uh, point uh, I wanted to bring up as well, Justin. Will Netflix put this in a theater so it can get a uh, Academy Award? I, I hope they put it in theaters because I'd rather watch it in theaters than watch it on Netflix. You know, uh, the YouTube comments is full of people saying, Netflix, please release this in theater theaters for a month. I saw that. And did you see, likewise, I saw a poster that Napoleon is going only to theaters now. Oh, really? Yeah, that's that's what the poster I saw on AMC last night said. It said only in theaters. So maybe it got such good attention. Same thing, the Leonardo DiCaprio, white men are evil, Indians are awesome. Oil thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's in theaters now, and it wasn't originally when we watched the trailer. So maybe people are gauging based on trailer reaction. I think that Netflix is dumb if they don't put this in theaters, but who knows? All right. That brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this trip, William? Well, I learned that uh, we can stop a trailer, then talk about it. Stop a trailer, then talk about it. Justin, what did you learn this trip? I learned that I can deal with a giant spider woman in a movie if I just pretend she's the Borg Queen from First Contact. <laughs> yeah, just just do that. That way you can get through it. Now you'll watch your future's end. <laughs> All right, I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast and putting up with my stuttering and random references. Uh, Obviously, I sound crazy because I'm talking to the corner of my closet like a crazy person, but you make me feel a little bit less crazy. And if you'd like to support my mental health or continue to support my mental health, you can do so by going to midside.com slash store, pick up any merch, the midside.com slash the cut, pick up my novel, Go to midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. Patreon's per episode. Locals is per month. That's how we keep the lights on. And as always, the best way, but the best what? The best way to support the show is to tell a female friend. Tell a scar giver about our show. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlinski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a Darvo free day. So, Justin, I know we didn't talk about it on the show, but, man, there's a lot of noise around this Snow White remake this week. I think it people have leaked the opening, and there's debate whether they're going to even play the trailer at uh, D23. I think uh, I think we've the people are predicting another uh, turd. Uh, there's going to be uh, a box office turd is coming out. It's crazy. That's interesting, because I saw a YouTube video titled Disney's Snow White Problem, and I didn't know what it was. Uh, 
do they still have seven dwarves or are they seven normal it's the people? Seven, um, it's the seven, seven uh, acceptably socially justice peoples, magical creatures. Uh, and it's uh, the opening is apparently Snow White um, learning to ninjutsu. Uh, and that's the opening. So the setup is her fighting a dummy or like a tree with markers and learning how to fight her learning how to fight is the beginning so they may do what they did with lady and the tramp and pinocchio and just put it right on disney plus i the the apparently the rumors are that the board is like debating whether or not to even put the trailer out um there's some people on the board wanting to go straight to disney plus and then others are just like hide hide it until the last minute and then um, and then release it to theaters and see what happens. So they're at least going to release so. it. It's not going to get Batgirled. I I don't think they can Batgirl at the, at this point. Uh, it it it's cost them too much money, and with the writer strike, they can't remake anything. Oh, that's true. So yeah, they'd have to go back to London again, and you know, blah 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 blah. So yeah, I don't know. I like apparently there's a rap song in it, just like they did with Little Mermaid, and it tests so poorly that they're going to take it out of the trailer because it was in the trailer. Um, but they're going to keep it in the movie. And the so, one movie they should have done a rap song in is they should have done Will Smith remixing "Friend Like Me" in Aladdin. And Friend they Like Me, yeah, as a as a rap song, that would have been funny and good, and bring out, uh, yeah, that would have been good. But no, that there's a rap song. I think in they Snow changed White. the one of the set. What, yeah, one of the dwarf songs. They changed it to a rap song. So this sounds like it's going to be a watershed moment for modern Disney. <laughs> How many flops can they have in one year? Well, that's what I'm saying. They may have to reflect and address things now.